available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. Big show today. If you want to listen to any of our old shows, make sure you go to our website, pac12podcast.com. And if you'd like to hear from us, or let us, you want us to talk about something, something on your mind about the Pac 12, you can email us, Pac 12 podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Pac 12 podcast, or you can text or leave a voicemail. And the number for that is 424 532 0678. Lots of ways to get a hold of us, Dave. We want to make this about the people. We do. We do. The people are very important to us. And that's why we like to let you know sometimes that, you know, weird things happen on this show. We didn't know if we were going to be able to record. All right. <laughs> 20 minutes ago, we sat down to start recording and I was echoing. Ryan's thing wasn't recording, but we sat down, we got together, we figured it out. And why? Because of you, the listener. Yes. We did nothing different, but eventually it started working. So here we are. That's that's the story of life right there. Right. Don't change ever. But get different results. It's weird. It's like the opposite of the definition of insanity. You know, and it's weird, Dave. I pulled up. Uh, there was a car chase. Not a car chase. An RV chase. I pulled up. And now I missed the end. I don't know what happened because we right. were fixing all this stuff. Man, this is terrible. And because you were fixing it for the, the people. people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're the podcast of the people. We are. Definitely not the podcast of actual champions. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm excited for today's show because we got a lot of we got a lot of ground to cover. We got a lot of ground to cover. We're a little bit late. We got to get going, and frankly, there's a ton to do. Uh, we got to talk NFL draft. Uh, we've got to talk another Wilner article came out that's just damning, just damning, especially to UCLA. Um, and we've just got we've just got so many little questions, so many news and notes we got to discuss. So should we just dive right in? Are we going to start with NFL draft? I think. I think we do. Um, I got a, a nice email from uh, Dave Hirsch uh, from the Pac-12, and it's a really good recap of the Pac-12 and and how they did. Um, so looking at, you know, by conference, we got the most, 53 picks. We're, we're Southeastern, right? That's us? Uh, I think so. No. <laughs> okay, so the SEC had 53. We're not them. Uh, the ACC, 46. Big 10, 32. Pac-12, fourth with 30. And the Big 12 only had 20. So not I would say not too bad, on par with what the Big 10 did overall. Yeah, I mean, and you got to do it on a per school. Come on. The Big 12 sucked. 20 picks out of 10 schools, that's t- two? Yeah. Two, yeah, that's my math. Very good math. Uh, whereas, you know, the Pac-12, solidly, solidly 2.5. Um, and SEC has, what, 14 schools? Yes. Yeah, so they were nearly rocking it out at four four picks a school which is that's 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 pretty good well they got alabama so that's kind of like skews everything. yeah that's it by itself right <laughs> they had 53 draft picks this yeah. year. 
I'd believe it. Like, if you told me that, I'd be like, all right, yeah, that seems about right. Only one in the top 10 uh, for the SEC, but then they, like, picked up a bunch. Like, the Pac-12 in general, four of the first 15 picks went to Pac-12 school, so that's pretty good. But then it was kind of a not, – not a whole lot after that. A lot of the, you know, po- pick 16 and beyond, like, the SEC was just killing it, like, all kinds of SEC picks. Yeah. And, you know I- – it's hard to ever, you know, take too much from like how talent correlates to, um, you know, whether these teams were any good or not. You know, that was there was that one year where Washington was not great. I think it was the first year we did this, and then in the 2015 draft, didn't they have like four, four of the like top 40 guys in the draft or yeah, something? like I think that? it's top 44, like three first rounders and one second rounder, like the 12th right. pick of the second round or something. So there's there's no amount of talent that a coach can't squander. And we'll talk a little bit more about UCLA later on. <laughs> Speaking of squandering talent. Um, okay. So the first round, maybe, I don't know how you want to do this, but I'll, for the, let's talk about the first round for a little bit. Uh, so Sam Darnold, a lot of people thought he would go one. He ends up dropping to three to the New York jets. The second quarterback taken because Baker Mayfield got taken. Josh Rosen right. fell a little bit. Number 10 uh, to the Arizona Cardinals. So he was the fourth quarterback taken, which is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Vita Vea, uh, the defensive tackle from Washington, he went 12th overall to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So that's, that's nice there. And then Colton Miller, maybe a little bit of surprise tackle from UCLA goes 15th to the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think by the end, I wasn't like super shocked that the Browns went with Baker Mayfield. Um, I think the quarterback order, I, I, if any version of Mayfield, uh, Darnold, and Rosen had gone in some order, whatever. I mean, I think that's you can make a preference argument about which one you prefer. Mayfield obviously got a lot of love from, from the analytics community. Yeah. Um, Darnold obviously had that phenomenal first year as a starter, showed a few more warts this last year, but obviously there's a ton of upside there. So that makes sense. Um, he's not nearly as outspoken as Rosen is, which apparently rubbed some teams really the wrong way. Um, or Rosen, who's, you know, that prototypical pocket passer who's got the arm, he's got the accuracy and all that stuff, but obviously, you know, has those made up concerns about his makeup. Um, but Josh Allen sneaking in there in front of, in front of Josh Rosen is pure bonkers nonsense, just nonsense. This guy couldn't complete passes in college (laughs) in the mountain West. How is he going to do that? with the Buffalo Bills in the NFL. I, I That one I didn't understand. Um, obviously, Rosen, I think, fell into probably a better situation than Mayfield or Darnold, just from, you know, the team is a little bit better around him. Um, but I think all three of those guys are justified. I thought Josh Allen was crazy. I thought that was an insane pick for the Bills. He's got a big arm, though, Dave. I don't know if you know that. Huge, like, huge cannon arm. And he don't plays guitar. Don't know where guitar. it's going. Don't know if it's going to hit anybody in the hands, but he's got a big arm. He plays guitar like Rick Neuheisel, too. No, I don't know if right? he does. I'm just kidding. But that's He also a... sends some super racist tweets that Ooh. somebody must have been waiting on releasing those till like the day before the draft. They had to because he had deleted them. Like I know. So someone didn't just find them the day before the draft. They found them and saved them till the day before the draft. Do you think strategically it was the Bills? 
Huh. Like they wanted, they wanted him to be hanging around at seven so they could go up and draft him instead of Josh Rosen. That's kind of like the only thing that would make sense, right? Like, or just somebody with a real vendetta who wanted him to not make as much money. Yeah, but I mean, he goes seventh, so it, that's that's still a lot of money. Mission not accomplished um, if that was your mission. Yeah, so that was the quarterback stuff. Uh, Vita Vea, I loved in college. I love that he went that high. Um, Colton Miller. Um, that's not a performance pick. Um, I don't think he was all that great in college, but he has, um, I think a lot of people would say a lot of upside. Um, he's six, eight long armed, um, did every combine test at like a phenomenal rate for a guy who's like six, eight, three fifteen. Um, but I, 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 for me, I, that felt a little bit high to me. Um, but uh, great, great for him. Going to make a ton of money now. Um, get some time to learn. Cause he'll have that, you know, big contract that'll make teams want to invest a little bit of time in him to develop him. Um, but that that one opened my eyes. I was always a little skeptical that he was a first rounder when that buzz started up. Um, and to have him go as high as 15, that was that was maybe the shock of the first round for me. Yeah, I texted you after that. I don't know if I texted you and called you like a poopy head or something so you would respond. But um... And I responded, so you must have. <laughs> Asking about that. But yeah, no, I mean... So a lot of times it's potential, and I think people see the potential there. So, um, second round, you want me to talk about that real quick? Or let's do it. Four more players. So Ronald Jones, USC running back, he was the sixth pick in the the uh, second round, thirty eighth overall pick goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Also, forty uh, fourth, the twelfth pick of the round, Dante Pettis, uh, wide receiver from Washington, goes to the San Francisco Forty Niners. 16th pick in that round, Uchenna and Wusu, outside linebacker, goes to San Diego, the San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. And then Isaiah Oliver, the cornerback from Colorado, 26th pick uh, of the round, 58th overall, goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Love, I, I, I love all of those guys. I think they're all um, good picks in the second round. I mean, Ronald Jones, I think, has, I, I you know, it, I think the question on him was if he could get a little, he's a little bit slight, a little bit slim, um, but he obviously has pure NFL speed. Um, there was a little bit of a knock on him, which I think was just from people who had never watched any film of him, that he's not quite the top end burner. Um, I saw that evaluation a couple of times and I'm like, did you guys only ever see him run up 40 on his like pulled hamstring? Because <laughs> that dude is, that dude has real speed. Um, and so I, I think he's going to be good. Dante Pettis loved him in college. Um, I think he can do a lot, obviously, as a punt returner, special teams guy as well as a, you know, he, he might not be your number one receiver in the NFL, but I think he's a solid number two guy. Um, and then uh, Eugenia Nuosu, I'm, you know, I, I guess he probably doesn't have the me measurables or a pure position um, in the NFL, but man for a guy with those instincts and just that natural football ability to fall that far as well as the athleticism and everything uh just because you know he might not be whatever six five or whatever seems crazy to me i i loved him in college and then who's the fourth guy isaiah oliver from colorado isaiah oliver obviously a huge upside uh corner who um you know people were talking about him as potentially the best nfl draft draft prospect out of that stacked uh, Colorado defensive backfield uh, two years ago, and then he had a, a really solid year last year. So, yeah, I love all those guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Jones, what you said, the hamstring, he was the fourth uh, running back selected, but I think it's still a, a good spot for him. 
Pettis, I think it helps because he's such a good special teams player too. Uh, it's weird with some of the wide receivers sometimes, but when you can bring more than one aspect to the game, and Pettis certainly does that, uh, I think that helped him move up. And Wutsu deflected; uh, he had defended t- 14 passes this year <laughs> as a linebacker. Those instincts are wild. Yeah. I mean, when I was watching, because I, you know, I watched a lot of USC this year too, and just it seemed like every game there was just some play he made where it was like wow those just he just knew where that play was headed like he knew where the ball was going to be thrown before it was even a thought in the quarterback's mind yeah uh and he it's funny he's playing in Carson California now uh where StubHub Center is for the Chargers and his hometown is Carson California went to Narbonne High School so that's cool that's you always love to see that yeah yeah there was a fun moment with the family and stuff and uh, Isaiah Oliver he mentioned him too like he was the one a lot of people thought would be the best out of that, uh, you know, stacked defense we saw from Colorado a couple years ago. So, uh, I don't, no surprise. I think he went in the second round too. So it's a, I think pretty good showing four picks in the first four in the second. And, uh, there was four in the third and four in the fourth too, from the back. <laughs> do we want, how do you want to do this? Do we want to read through them all? Or you want to kind of make some notes on any guys that you, you saw that you liked or yeah, why don't you read them off? Um, and then we can just kind of chat about whoever we okay. thought. Third yeah. round, uh, the fourth pick, Justin Reed, the safety from Stanford. Another really good secondary with a lot of people thought uh, had NFL guys in it. He goes to the Tennessee Titans. Our boy Royce Freeman was the seventh pick of the third round uh, from Oregon. He goes to the Denver Broncos. Uh, Rasheem Green, uh, defensive end from USC. He goes to Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks with the 15th pick of that round. And then the Last pick of that round, Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle from Stanford. So two Stanford players in the third round. He goes to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Um, Rasheem Green, I think, has the talent to be a higher draft pick than that. I think the question on him was kind of the same question that he had a little bit in high school, which is just overall motor. You know, can you get him to play every single snap the way he can, the way he has shown at times? Um, and maybe that develops in the NFL. That's the one where I don't really know. Um, it's always tough to teach motivation. Uh, Harrison Phillips is kind of the flip side of that, where every single snap you see that guy <laughs> just you He's know, giving his heart out, but not necessarily <laughs> the biggest physical talent in the world. Like not not Rasheem Green, who's you know all of six five, whatever, two eighty, two ninety, or whatever, long arm, super athletic. Harrison Phillips is not that, but he's a tryhard. And I think he probably projects a little bit better for me as an NFL player just because he's got that that motivation factor. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you watch Harrison Phillips. You know, two plays into the game, you're like, man, that guy's a baller. So um, I right. thought he might go a little higher, but, you know, it's nice to get Stanford in there. Um, do you remember much about Justin Reed? I mean, I may remember him making some plays, but it's not someone I watch. Like, I think I watched a lot more Harrison Phillips than Justin Reed. Uh, yeah, I, that's not one that, like, jumped out to me either way. Um, you know, I – defensive backs for the most part that's like the hardest position to judge when you're watching a tv feed especially in most of the stanford games we're watching are tv feeds um you know we'll see them in person maybe once a year um you especially um but not uh so it's it's that's one of the positions that's harder to judge because they're just often not in the tv screen so safety play is something that's hard to assess um but royce freeman yes um, he projects as a real NFL back for me. I think that's a great value pick. Who got him in the third round? Denver Broncos. That's, you know, if Mike Shanahan was there, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's going to rush for 1500 yards next year. Um, But 
yeah, I mean, it's still, um, I think that's a great value pick. I think Royce is, he's got kind of sneaky speed for that size. Um, and you know, he can take a pounding and, and run, you know, 30 carries a game. I think that's completely his forte. So I think that's a good pick for the Broncos. Yeah. Like him a lot. I mean, he had some, there were some up and downs to his career, but you just always, you're like, dude, that guy's talented. Like, you know, he's going to be good. So, um, good stuff there. All right. Fourth round. Uh, these were all most later in the fourth round, 20th pick, uh, Will Disley, the tight end from Washington. He goes to the Seattle Seahawks. So he stays close to home. Um, Kenny Young, the 22nd pick of the fourth round, uh, linebacker from UCLA goes to the Baltimore Ra- uh, Ravens. Did I almost said Baltimore Raisins. That's kind of weird. That's, that would have been great. The Baltimore Raisins. The um, Raisins. 31st pick. So towards the end, Kalen Balage, the running back from Arizona State, who didn't he score eight touchdowns in a game? Uh, mm-hmm. Or wait, was that the – that was the other one. I no, okay. I think it was him. Uh, yeah, Mi- it was him. Yeah, Miami Dolphins. So he goes to Miami. And then the 37th pick. So I think they had like some, uh, some of those compensatory or whatever – Picks compensatory. That, com- compensatory. Compensatory. Yeah. Like towards the end of the, I think they do at the end of some of the rounds where that, that, you know, forever for the compensation stuff. Dalton Schultz, the tight end from Stanford to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. So a couple tight ends. Um, I can talk about Kenny Young. Um, this was an interesting pick for me. Uh, Kenny Young was a up and down player at UCLA, had a ton of physical upside. I have uh, had some questions about his instincts over the years um, and how he sees the field, how he reads the game, um, which is kind of for, for linebackers in general, I'm especially when you're projecting him to the NFL. I think when you're projecting him to college, it can be a little bit more, you know, who has the athleticism, who's the physical freak, because you can maybe think, you know, we're going to teach them instincts. But even then linebacker is one of those positions where I don't necessarily prioritize athleticism as much as can you, like, are you one of those guys who just has a nose for tackles? Like, are you just going to be all over the field? Um, for UCLA fans, like Jayon Brown was one of those guys. Eric Hendricks is one of those guys who kind of combined the athleticism with that. But even then he's more instincts than athleticism. Kenny Young is more athleticism and, you know, he can be a hard hitter when he gets to a guy, but, I have questions about the instincts, so I'm I'm really hopeful it works out for him at Ravens. Kenny's a great kid, um, and uh, hopefully that's a good spot for him. Um, and uh, I like Dalton Schultz in high school uh, quite a bit. Kalen Balaj is an interesting one for me, too. Um, I think he was always kind of tantalizing yeah. um, because he's got that size, he's got that speed, he's got that athleticism, but just... He had that one crazy game where he had a bunch of touchdowns, but even then, I don't think he averaged like some crazy yards per carry that game. I think it was just situational. And otherwise, I just I I never saw it consistently from him. So hopefully, he can put it together in the NFL as well. Yeah, there was just kind of some up and down performance stuff. But you look at his measurables; he seems uh, seems like he's you know he's he he should be a good NFL prospect. Uh, did you like uh, Will Disley at all? Like watching him at Washington. Yeah. Um, again, another guy who didn't jump out to me a ton. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think he was solid. I think um, they use tight ends in a similar way to a lot of pro style offenses now. So I'm sure it's something where it's easy for NFL teams to project. I think that's probably an underrated thing for Washington is that they are running. They're not running like a, you know, a pure like ground and pound like Stanford, but they are running something that is kind of that hybrid pro style thing that a lot of NFL teams are running now. 
And so seeing the way a tight end works in that, I'm sure that's a, a an easy thing for NFL teams to project. And so they can, you know, look at a guy like Will Disley and say that we don't have to teach him a whole lot to get him in, uh, get him ready to go. Uh, should we go to the fifth round? Let's do it. So the first pick of the fifth round, Cole Madison, the offensive tackle from Washington State. So first, uh, Coog off the board. He goes to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the cornerback from Arizona, the Tennessee Titans, the 15th pick. I think it's it's Dane uh, Crookshank. Is that do you Crookshank. know? Crookshank. Okay. Crookshank. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, he's not I, – I remember his name, but I just don't remember him. Like, it didn't stand out a lot to me, but I, I remember people talking about him. Would, any thoughts on him before we move on? No. Yeah. None. I, I, I just none. remember people talking about him, but nothing really. So my apologies for that. Uh, Tyrell Crosby, the offensive tackle – uh, from Oregon, he went the 16th pick of the fifth round to the Detroit Lions. Scott Quisenberry, uh, the center from UCLA, he goes to the Chargers, LA Chargers, with the 18th pick. Then the 25th pick of the fifth round, uh, Jordan Lasley, wide receiver from UCLA, goes to the Baltimore Ravens. I know you felt he went a little too late. That's that one is um, that one's crazy to me. Um, a, a lot of the UCLA draft, like those guys. Yeah, sure. All should have been drafted, but the order that they were drafted in, like Lasley's getting knocked um, for like a more extreme version of the Rosen stuff. Like he's getting knocked for off field issues and he had multiple suspensions at UCLA and all this junk. But it was all for like really minor, like maturity stuff, not like he was getting, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the really bad stuff you constantly hear about, like domestic abuse and all this other stuff. It's not it wasn't anything like that. He fell to the fifth round for that, and he's probably like I was looking at it. He's he was a easy second round wide receiver talent. Um, I mean, he was the leading receiver in the Pac-12 this year. Um, he's fast. He's quick. Um, he has pretty good hands. He had some drops this year, but he has pretty good hands. Um, and he's an explosive player. Uh, he had like 18 yards per catch this year, which led the Pac-12 by about four yards per catch. Um, so it was just, I think this, it was more of an example of how bad NFL teams are at assessing risk reward because after the second round or so, like say you don't want to spend a second round on them because of the off field issues, fine. But once you're past the second round or so, you're not really investing all of that much in any of these guys. So why not take a flyer on talent starting in the third round? It just seems, it seems weird to me that he. Uh, because of these kind of vague off-field issues, uh, he fell to the fifth round as well. Um, He's another uh, Sarah High School kid, right? Yeah, another Sarah High School kid. So they definitely still have Arizona tipped. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Dane they had Crookshank, two. <laughs> Dane Crookshank is one of, what, five Arizona players who've been drafted in the last, like, six years or something? So I tweeted it out from our account. So it, this was after the third round. So I think in the last five years, it's been six Arizona players drafted with uh, – Crookshank in there, and then um, seven Sarah High School players because they had Rasheem Green and Jordan Lasley. They had five like coming into it. So Sarah High School has produced more draft picks than Arizona. That's weird. Let's talk about how Sarah has been uh, kind of underwhelming relative to their talent. All right? <laughs> Let's get a little bit better performance there, all right? I, they've put a lot of dudes in the NFL. <laughs> they've put a lot of dudes in the NFL. They haven't won like enough games to justify that. Yeah. Um, all right. That's, that's true. Uh, let's put a pin in that because we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cole Madison, OL from Washington State. There was a time when uh, Mike Leach, offensive lineman, 
uh, were nigh on undraftable because it was such a weird scheme. I think that speaks to um, how things are shifting, I think, in perception, you know, doing those wide splits and all that crazy stuff that was crazy 10, 15 years ago suddenly is a little bit more of the norm. Um, and then the other OL, uh, Tyler, Tyrell Crosby, um, he was probably a bigger talent than this coming out of high school, but he uh, might be able to stick with the Lions. Scott Quisenberry, um, he is another, you know, L.A. guy who's going to be able to stay home playing for the Chargers. Uh, he was a four-year starter at UCLA. Um, his final year was definitely his best. I think they announced him as a guard, so he'll probably be going in as a guard. Um, and I think that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we got that. Um, sixth round, fourth pick, Christian Sam, outside linebacker from ASU. Love him. Uh, yeah, he went to the Patriots. Uh, seventh pick, uh, Kylie Fitz, defensive end from Utah. He goes to the Chicago Bears. Um, and he had injury issues, which I think why he fell this far. Yeah. Coming I, into his, uh, what was it, his second year at Utah, he was looking like a potentially big-time guy for them, but he's just had a couple of injury problems the last couple of years. Yeah, the whole career was weird, like starting with USC and then kind of moving around. But, you know, it's uh, he's landed with the Bears, and I think he'll have a good chance to, even though he's a late pick, to show them what he can do and make the team. Um Another Arizona State guy, offensive guard Sam Jones, the ninth pick. He goes to the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't I don't remember much about Sam Jones, but it's you know hard to remember like a guard from a team that you don't cover normally. Uh, right, Luke Falk, twenty fifth yep. pick. Uh, yep, yeah, he goes to the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, so that's I mean that's a seems like a pretty clear backup pick. Um, just kind of going to be there to, uh, you know be somebody who's an insurance policy against Marcus Mariota. Um, this was, I think they wrote it down. This was the uh, Tom Brady pick, 199 overall. Oh, yeah, he so was. There's, there's a parallel there. Um, I hope it works out for Luke. Um, obviously, he had some, uh, he had a tough final year um, injuries and also just, you know, the weirdness with getting pulled out of games and all that stuff. So hopefully he can uh, kind of rub, you know, get what – Dust that off. I was going to say rub that off. That sounds weird. <laughs> I was going to say wipe that off. That sounds weirder. And then I'm like, all right, dust it off. Dust that off his shoulders. Dust whatever he was going to wipe or rub off of his shoulders. <laughs> dust it off. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Hopefully, hopefully he can put this past, put this year behind him. I'm done talking on this podcast. You got to take the rest of it. We're going to put that pick behind us. Um, we don't want to get an explicit tag or whatever on uh... – <laughs> On iTunes. All right. Uh, outside linebacker from Stanford, Peter uh, Columbia. I don't, do you know, remember how to say it? K A L A M B A Y. Sure. I thought that was a good, good job. What, what type of pick was this, Ryan? This was the 40th pick. What, which no, what one? type of pick was it? Compensatory? Compensatory. There you go. Look at that. Pretty good. Um, uh, from Stanford, he goes to the Houston Texans. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Azim Victor. Uh, inside yeah. linebacker from Washington, you guys know him. Oakland Raiders picked him with the 42nd pick. Yeah, and Keyshawn Bieria, uh went with the 43rd pick to Denver Broncos. So that's two linebackers for Washington. Um, kind of low for me, but maybe it's just like from a physical upside standpoint. They're just, but like, well coached in a really good defense. I don't know. I, I I would prioritize that at linebacker. I think both those guys could surprise. Yeah, 
But it's funny, three Pac-12 linebackers within four picks of the sixth round. So yeah, people had them on their boards, and uh, sure. they ended up picking them. And then just two picks in the seventh round, 225th pick was Devontae Downs, cornerback from Cal. He goes to the Vikings. And then James Looney, uh, defensive tackle from Cal, goes to the Green Bay Packers with a 232nd pick. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Devontae Downs, I always liked in college. I thought he could have been uh, um, picked higher even. Um, and uh, so good, solid draft for the uh, Pac-12. Not not the worst among the Power Five. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Second to worst. Uh, so UCLA and Washington each had five selections. Stanford, USC had four. ASU. California, Oregon, and Washington had three. I'm sorry, and Washington State had. Wait, oh, this um, this is weird the way they listed it. Um, they put three Arizona State, then they put comma Cal, Oregon, Washington State. But they listed three and two. I don't. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and count them now. Son of a bitch. Um, the, <laughs> the selections there, and then Arizona, Colorado, and Utah had one. Uh, let me see. Is that right? Washington State, did Cal just have two? I think Cal might have just had two. So maybe it's Arizona State had three, and then Cal, Oregon, and Washington State had two. They put a comma after Arizona State, and I thought it was continuing, but I don't think it was. This is great. Yeah, this is, it's good stuff. I think, people, I think people are enjoying this. I'm trying to read like off the you know what their thing yeah, is yeah. showing here. No, it's good. It's and good. It's, I think uh, we should just go with it. You know, I think reading's this not my just thing. Be us reading to them. Reading's not my thing, Dave. You know, like no, reading is hard, <laughs> but it is fundamental. <laughs> um, so not the worst, not the best, could've, but could have been worse. Yeah, could have been worse. But four could've picks in the top fifteen—that's pretty good. Yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, All right, so that's that's the NFL draft. Um, should we do questions? What was the other? Oh, we we want to talk some spring games. Yeah, some spring games. So, I sp- Ryan, tell us about the spring games you watched. Oh my God! So uh, I spent way too much time on Monday, basically my whole day. There was two hours of teleconferences with coaches where you get like ten minutes a piece for each coach. Listen to all that. Then I watched a two-hour Cal spring game and then a two-hour Oregon State spring game. So um, I put a lot Ooh. of time. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Cal and Oregon State you were trying to watch. Oh, yeah. And they were the full ones. Like, last week it was, like, hour ones because I didn't get to record the whole thing, and that's probably good. Now, to be fair, both of these games were way more informative than some of the other ones, and maybe there's only because there was two and they they could put more production into it. I'm not sure. Um, But the Cal spring game wasn't a game. It was just more like a practice. They did some stuff. And then they had a little uh, little shtick in the beginning. Did you hear about this? Oh boy, no, no. Okay. I, 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 you know how some people have like little filters set up for Google Alerts for things. Yeah. Whatever, like the anti version of that is for like nonsense spring ball <laughs> crap. I have that set up. Okay. Well, uh, so Cal's a little thin. I, at yeah, I, I do record a a Pac-12 podcast year round. Right. So I do appreciate the the effort that you put into that, trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> But so they're a little thin uh, at at wide receiver. Um, so they got Yogi Roth to come out, put on the number eighty two, mic'd up, and play some receiver. How did he do? Uh, it was actually okay. So normally you'd go, "This is pretty silly." 
And we, you know, we love Yogi, but I thought that was really cool. He didn't stay out there a long time, but he had, they had a mic on and he had like an earpiece in um, and was down on the field kind of doing interviews and then running through like early receiver drills. So this is like early in the practice where you like hit a bag, turn around, catch a ball, make a move, something like that. And he was going through all those. He kept catching the balls. And in the meantime, he's like talking to people. So uh, Kanawi Noah uh, is one of their great yeah. wide receivers and he was out. So like getting pointers from him as he's going through stuff. So I thought they actually did a pretty good uh, job of it. Demetrius Robinson wasn't, uh, he did a little bit of stuff, but he's mostly been limited this spring. Vic Wharton was out. Um, so they had some oh, so younger wide receiver- best receivers were all out. Yeah. Like uh, Tariq Johnson is a big freshman they had in there. So they, he was kind of working with those guys getting a little winded, but doing it, like go through a drill and then start talking. And he's, he's, so he's, you know, talking with the booth and, uh, and Ashley Adams on the sideline, um, Adamson. Um, and I thought they actually did a pretty good job. He was commenting about gloves. Like when he played at, he was a wide receiver at Pitt where Larry Fitzgerald was like in the early two thousands, they never wore gloves or anything. He goes, the gloves make a huge difference. <laughs> it's like, you're like, nah, we wouldn't wear this. It's like, man, it's just so much easier to catch the ball when you have the gloves on. So I actually thought it was kind of cool to see him, to, to be able to seamlessly go through a drill where you're like, could pull a hamstring or something and then like interview players and coaches on the way. Yeah. I would think I'd be out of breath. Yeah. He, he was breathing a little hard. And then after a while he went up, I wanted to see him do like a route when they were doing like, like the route trees where the quarterback's just throwing routes. And he said he was going to do one. I didn't see it. Maybe I missed it, but um, it was mostly just the kind of drills I saw, but okay. they, they interviewed Justin Wilcox like three times in this game. Like they interviewed him early, like just do the overview kind of stuff. Um, and then they interviewed him again, <laughs> I think to get comment to like really soon after that commentary on Yogi and stuff. And then they interviewed him again at the end. So it was like a lot of Justin Wilcox. That must've been riveting. <laughs> um, He's not the most exciting interview in the world. He was actually, so he was fairly terrible on the conference call that I heard earlier in the day, but he was pretty into it. Like during the game, uh, when they were talking about it, they, they had their, there's a big effort on recruiting. Uh, they had 70 offered kids on campus this spring, he said, and there was about 70 more prospects there for the game. Um, and you know, I think a common theme from him was that they're not satisfied. Like, you know, five and seven wasn't good enough. Um, and they they really are pushing for for more. So they actually I actually mentioned Dave on the broadcast. Like I think Yogi was saying, like this is a team that could start off seven and zero. So we could get that momentum going. We get that train going. He's trying to take up the slack for our departed Ryan Gorsi, and I appreciate that. Um, who is satisfied at five and seven? That's not a thing you say after a five and seven year. We're not satisfied. That's something you say after like nine and three. Well, you don't I, say we're not satisfied after five and seven. That's when you say, well, yeah, we went five and seven. Like, it's not like that's – nobody would ever think you were satisfied at five and seven. Yeah. That's a crazy thing to say, Justin Wilcox. You're well, out of your mind. Well, I think there's some – a lot of people were saying it's looking good. You guys have turned things around and blah, blah, blah. And, and I think he was just kind of saying, no, it's not It's not good enough. I, I wouldn't put – I wasn't, I wasn't going to knock him for what he was saying. I think a lot of people were saying, hey, this team looks better. They lost like three or four games by – a field goal, you know, like it could have easily been an eight win team. And I, I think that's where it was kind of coming from. I, I I mean, I get it, but like, just say, yeah, well, you know, we've got a, we still got a lot to work to do or yeah. something, but like, 
Nobody thinks you're satisfied. You're, you're five and seven. So of cor- course that isn't good enough. That's not good enough for anybody. <laughs> if you went five and seven three years in a row, you'd probably be fired. You know, we do have a, a Gorsi replacement too. If we're talking, I know Cal football. Um, Shannon Carroll. So I, yeah. I read her story. I didn't know much about her before or anything about her before, but um, she comes from a journalistic family. So she and she's a Cal grad too. Um, she was in Pittsburgh last, and uh, she'll be taking over. So I reached out to her. She, we're definitely going to get her on the show here at some what, point. What does she think Cal's going to do this year? Did you ask her what record? Because we need a true replacement. I'm assuming she's going to say 11 to one, but I don't know yet. So we'll see. Um, right. Okay. Well, we, we need somebody who will speak the <laughs> truth that way. So no, well, yeah, I want to, we'll, we'll let her say what she wants, you know, like if she picks them to go six and six, we're going to be like, you're fired. Like you can't do that. Right. Um, well, Justin Wilcox certainly wouldn't be satisfied with, you know, that. Yeah, no, he would. <laughs> uh, quarterback wise, you guys remember Ross Bowers. Um, he's basically going to be the guy unless someone can beat him. They said he had a really great spring. Uh, Brandon McElwain, the transfer from South Carolina. So he sat out last year. He also plays baseball. He was live in the game. So they had a couple quarterbacks that were live, which I thought was weird. So like you couldn't touch Bowers, but you could tackle McElwain if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> was like, okay. Pure cannon fodder. Yeah. Chase, Chase Forrest is a senior. He played a little bit. And then Chase Gabbers, he had, uh, he was also live. He had 90 touchdowns when he was in high school. Um, got the interview. They did a lot of interviews. Malik McMorris. You remember him, that big number 99 fullback tight end. Uh, he's a senior. He does track two discus and shot put. He's the 5'11", 295 pound guy. They mic'd him up actually. Um, so I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, but you so he goes through some of those drills for a dude that big, his feet and his hands are like really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's an impressive athlete. I always like those like big dudes that actually, you know, Vita Vea on the other side of the ball, you know, for a guy that big to move like that. And, you know, I think McMorris has a little bit of that big man moving very nimbly to him. Yeah. Uh, they're adding, uh, Ian Bunting, the grad transfer tight end for Michigan, Burl Toller is the new running back coach. He's actually a Cal grad. He was a receiver for Aaron Rodgers back in the day. Um, he's got Patrick Laird coming back. Um, they got Derek Clark, uh, Biagio, Ali Walsh. He's from Bishop Gorman High School. Alex Matherda, he moved over from, uh, I think he was a defensive back. So there's a lot, not a lot of, there's kind of questionable depth behind Laird. Um, and they're going to add a couple of freshmen in the fall, but it's, it's basically Laird's team. And then they're trying to figure out someone else for, uh, behind him. Uh, but Laird was a stud last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think Laird is uh poised for a very big year this year. Peter Sermon's back. He's the uh, mm-hmm. associate head coach of defense inside linebacker coach. So he was roommates with Justin Wilcox when they were at Oregon and he's coached with them three different places. So he was a, uh, an SEC defensive coordinator a couple of times, but now he's back. Uh, his son and his nephew uh, both play for Washington. <laughs> so, but his son's a linebacker and signed with Washington before Peter took the job at Cal. Um, so Peter was a horrendous uh, defensive coordinator um, at his two stops at, I believe it was Louisville and Arkansas. Does that I th- sound I right? Think Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Yeah, there we go. yeah, so the other one was the SEC. The other one was Louisville. You're right. Okay. Like horrendous. So I'm wondering, what was he as like a position coach? What was your impression of him? He At USC, at linebackers, I thought he did a good job. He was very organized as the recruiting coordinator. So I think organization skills are a real big part of that. So I thought he did a really good job there. 
Um, I didn't know that he was, I don't think he was a defensive coordinator until he got the um, Mississippi State job. Yeah. And then they traded him basically to Louisville uh, for uh, Todd Grantham, who was Louisville's defensive coordinator. And he came to Mississippi State and Sermon left for Louisville. And Louis, it was like a mirror image. Mississippi State went up like 50 spots in some ranking in defense. And Louisville immediately went down 50 spots. Uh. And it wasn't like the teams changed that much. Just, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Well, well good. Cal's defense has got better for sure. Yeah. Their defense has got better, but, you know, you have Tim DeRuiter as the defensive coordinator. Um, they, they're actually, when they do a seven on seven, uh, it's not a seven on, they call it like skelly rush or something like for skeleton drills, like seven on seven is usually skeleton drills, but they, they actually have a pass rush. So it's not like you're just throwing against, uh, no rush. Um, so they're always putting there. I guess you never have the quarterbacks there never have a, uh, a snap where there's not somebody rushing at them. So I thought that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. That's that would be a, a cool thing for most teams to adopt. Yeah. UCLA did something like that at the beginning. Like they used to just like wave things in the quarterback's faces when they'd be throwing and stuff under Jim Mora. And then uh, over the last few years, I think they stopped doing all of that. I think I wonder how much of that stuff is just like you've got so much energy when you start out in a place and then you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. It's yeah. just too much work. Uh, the scrimmage portion is pretty much dominated by the defense. Nothing too. Uh, crazy uh, that Biagio Ali Walsh got a touchdown and then he did a dance and then he had to run around <laughs> afterwards. They made him do laps around the stadium. Uh, this was at Memorial Stadium too. Um, let's see. McElwain got sacked and fumbled. Nothing too exciting. They have guys, two guys from Japan, a dude from Australia, mm-hmm. a dude from New Zealand, a dude from Germany, and a dude from Canada. So it's a pretty international <laughs> team. And uh, one of the th- they're trying to replace their all-time leading scorer in Matt Anderson. So, and the kickers were kind of meh. Okay, is that more than you would ever want to know about the Cal uh, spring that, game? That was more than I wanted to know. Yes. So you I told me you told me a lot more than I wanted to know. I wanted to know that Cal held the spring game, <laughs> that everyone seems fine, and uh, that we we're moving on now. Um, but you told us a lot more. But I think I'm at the low end of the spectrum. I think a lot of people maybe wanted to know more. Actually, sound off in the emails. Did was that too much? Yeah. And uh, do do you want less next year when we do this again? I think some of it's just personal too, because like when you want to go back and go, oh yeah, I remember seeing that guy in the spring game or whatever. I try to take notes on it and yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. But you know, you, you, I, I think it's sort of like um, some people say this when you're researching a book, like that you're going to write a book, whether it's a novel or whatever. Um, you actually only use like two percent of the research that you do in the story. The rest is all like background. Um, and I understand the inclination. You want to show your work. You want to show these people. This is what I did. I watched that cow <laughs> game, and I want to show <laughs> share it with you. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that from a from a from from a certain standpoint. But from another standpoint, you do from not. another standpoint. I mean, I, I just I cannot. <laughs> I cannot and I will not. All right. Well, that but we one, have another game to talk about. Let's yeah, get that, excited. That was California Golden Bears. Since I forgot to do that. And this one, I have just as many notes on this one. So Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> I'll try to summarize it a little bit better. Oh, no, no. I'm excited. I'm excited for every word of this. <laughs> well, it's hard because I just like stream of consciousness writing stuff down um this was raining 
Okay. Our, our friend Jill I'm already Savage. more intrigued. Yeah, uh, the beginning. Our friend Jill Savage, who we've had on the show, she was up there interviewing dudes in the rain, but then the sun came out, so it was good. Um, more of a game. They call it a showcase. Uh, maybe not more of a game. It was more of a practice, too, but they did a little bit more scrimmaging, I think. The offense was in black. Defense in white. Um, they did some drills and stuff. A lot of focus on Jonathan Smith, the new uh, the new head coach. He said it was great to be home. That's the kind of theme. Uh, there's billboards welcoming around. He was a you know if you don't remember he was a walk on turned star at Oregon State who ended up beating Notre Dame and they had a ton of alumni there like former players, uh, Brandon Cooks for you know, who's new with the uh, the Rams. Um, he was there talking about and they always talk about like the Beaver way. So I think when we thought about hiring someone that could run like a triple option or something. I, I could see that working, but I can see what they're doing here too, where they're bringing back one of their own, and it's it's it seems to like galvanize everybody. It just brought everyone together. So I, I see why he was hired. Yeah, I think that's um, probably a very cool thing for Oregon State fans, um, and you know I think I, I I still have questions about the schematic reasons for hiring him and whether it's a good fit for the talent. Oregon State can pull in and how it's going to result with things on the field. But like from a program morale standpoint, everything, I think it's, it's probably a very good thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, we'll see. They're talking, you know, his theme is like, why not here? Like, why can't it work here? So uh, that's what they're working towards. Uh, got to see a bunch of the running backs. They call him AP Artavius Pierce. Uh, he's a speedster. He'll probably be the starter now. Cause you know, they got to replace a couple of our favorites, uh, Ryan Nall and Thomas Tyner. So um, they tried a bunch of different guys, but he looks like he's going to be um, the, the kind of big name. They got Calvin Tyler, who's a 5'8 little dude uh, t- out of Texas. They, they got a bunch of guys from Texas. B.J. Baylor is a freshman from Texas. He scored a couple touchdowns. And then Christian Wallace is a dude they moved from uh, moved the defensive back from defensive back. Uh, he's a former four-star guy that actually thinking about transferring out. He came and he wanted to switch positions, so he uh, he he looked pretty good running the ball too. So um, Jake Luton, the quarterback, he injured his back last year. He was out there uh, at quarterback. Nick Moore, he was a transfer from Eastern Washington. He's going to sit out this year. He's the brother of Matt Moore. Jack Coletto, we saw a lot, probably the most of in this one. He's a dual threat quarterback from Arizona Western, transferred in, and then Connor Blunt. Um, He's a redshirt sophomore uh, from Wisconsin, and he actually looked the best out of all those guys. We didn't see much from Jake. Um, Coletto saw a bunch of, but he turned the ball over a few times. He looks like this, this strong arm guy. We didn't. See, I got to see him run a little bit, um, but Blunt was throwing some really nice balls, and uh, they were probably talked about him the, the least. But they didn't score a lot of touchdowns in the scrimmage, so it wasn't as exciting. But when they did, it was mostly when Blunt was out there. Very cool. <laughs> You're like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, Coletto threw a pick. I think he fumbled the snap and they turned it over. I think Jake Luton fumbled the snap and turned it over. I'm uh, just happy he's out there. He broke his back last year. Yeah. Uh, he actually had a nice slide. Uh, they're working on that. So he's, you know, he likes to to try to pick up the extra two or three yards. So they said they really have to work on sliding and making sure he uh uh you know doesn't doesn't you know hurt himself again he threw a pick too he, he tried to force one down the middle i don't think he saw the safety um so it wasn't it wasn't a great offensive performance overall 
Um, but yeah, like I said, Connor Blunt probably looked the best. They had uh, the athletic director Scott Barnes on, so they're going to redo the west side of the stadium. They're going to add a vision board this summer. Um, he loves the he loves Jonathan Smith coming back. He loves the staff he's put together. It seems like it's a a really west coast centric staff with some guys that you've heard of and stuff. So um, Scott Barnes seemed to be pretty happy. So they they got some plans to do uh, some expansion and and make some improvements up there too. Cool, very cool. And uh, let me see what else. Uh, the tight ends. I think both tight ends were out. Um, Noah Togiai, you know him. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, so he was good. And then uh, Tuli Willie Mat- Mat- Matagi, I think he was also out. So that, that that probably hurt them a little bit too. Is that, <laughs> that that name? Matagi. That, yeah, that name we all know. Willie Matagi. Is that right? I don't know what you're. I I, I honestly have no it's idea. Tuli Willie Dash. I think it's Matagi. Um, okay. There's just you know it's like not easy uh no it's it's beautiful that's what it is <laughs> i would go with i would go with uh tuli willie matagi yeah i think that's fair that's pretty good uh yeah watch the, for this name timmy hernandez at at uh wide receiver senior he's gonna be one of their leaders um probably haven't heard of him much before but he caught a couple touchdowns uh he just seemed to be like the guy the go-to guy uh on offense so i think uh I think he's going to be one to watch. And for Jake Luton uh, at, you know, at the end, um, you know, they interviewed him a little bit. He just said it was great to be back competing. Uh, the transition he, f- he felt was seamless, but one thing to watch for, like he was at Idaho before, obviously with Gary Anderson's staff and two different coaches there. And now Jonathan Smith, though, he's had a lot of different voices in his head uh, over his short career. So um, I don't know. I mean, you expect him to be the guy, but, that's a lot to ask of a guy to go from a coach to a coach to a coach, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, uh, well, there you go. Hopefully that's, you know, you know more about Oregon State now than you probably ever wanted to know. It's great. No, it's beautiful. Angie, tell me what you think. Did I did I screw anything up? Let us know. That was uh, that was riveting. You know what? Everyone, <laughs> what, drop what you're doing right now and just give a round of applause in the quiet of your room in your car, at the gym, mowing your lawn, doing the dishes, whatever it is you're doing, just drop it right now, assuming it's safe, assuming like it's not a gun or something. Exactly. Appreciate it. Round of applause for Ryan Abraham. He watched a lot more spring games than anyone should. It wasn't good for his health. He (laughs) shaved years off of his life. But he did that for you. Again, this is the people's podcast. We are doing it for you, the people. And by we, I mean mostly Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was, there's some interesting stuff. I thought these were were more informative than the ones we saw over the past weekend. I think they tried to probably cram it too much into an hour, and they just it just wasn't really all that informative. Right. The UCLA right. one was the worst. Like, that was the one the worst. It was terrible. Um, I, see, that's why I don't like spring games. That's probably a big part of it is because the UCLA one is almost always the worst. <laughs> I don't know if it almost always is, but this one is not. There was a UCLA spring game uh, several years ago where they had us in the press box. They were trying to do it like a real game. But then like the day of, they realized they didn't have enough guys for a game. And then they did this bizarre like game show atmosphere with like this showcase. And it was 
full nonsense, and it went for like two hours and 45 minutes. It was like the longest experience of my life. That's uh... and I, I just never recovered. You know, that's that's you know, I get I get I have like trauma associated with spring games. That's bad. Okay. Well, maybe that's maybe that's yeah. that's why you could see some a therapist maybe and, and yeah, kind of it get triggers over. me. It triggers me every time we enter about mid March. I'm like, wait, is that coming again? <laughs> I have nightmares. I wake up in a cold sweat. And all this stuff happens. Well, Dave, we need to talk about our buddy John Wilner, who mm-hmm. wrote an interesting piece that I forward to you, and you were I could I could like see the salivation in your mouth as you were reading the email. So. I'll let you take this one since I've been talking for like an hour. It was beautiful. I listened to every word you just said. Um, yeah. So this Wilner story, um, it kind of dovetails with what I think he talked about briefly on the show with us, but also what we've talked about, um, which is that uh, UCLA is one of the most ridiculously underachieving programs, like probably in both basketball and football, but we're going to focus on football because We've already exhausted our basketball quota for the entire um, uh, millennium. Um, UCLA, uh, Wilner went into the relation between UCLA's wins on the field under Jim Mora and their draft picks, as well as their recruiting rankings. And the end result was that, so just summarizing a couple of things, UCLA is one of 12 programs to have all five recruiting classes under Mora rank in the top 20 nationally. Um, so only 12 programs did that. Um, the other four programs, so Alabama is one of those programs. Um, and then there were only, only five produced more draft picks than UCLA, Alabama, LSU, Ohio state, Clemson, and Florida state or move Alabama. Cause they're Alabama. They don't really count. They're playing a different sport, but LSU, Ohio state, Clemson, and Florida state have produced more draft picks than UCLA. They have averaged, as a group, 10.7 wins per season for the past three years. UCLA, you know, in that same conversation, just behind those guys, has averaged six wins wow. over those three years. That's less. Yeah. The four programs directly behind UCLA in total draft picks, USC, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Auburn, have averaged 9.3 wins per season over the past three years. UCLA, again, has averaged six. So that's not, that's not great. That's, that's not great. So I did this. I, so I you're saying they need more talent. Of, they need more talent is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, the real problem and UCLA fans always talk about this. They're always like, well, recruiting's an issue. And, you know, I, I've even banged that drum a little bit as recently as last week on this podcast, but, um, recruiting has never actually been the issue at UCLA. It can certainly be in, uh, uh, semi-issue at times but ucla recruits well it's always been coaching always and mora was one of the better ish ones but Neuheisel, durrell i mean they all durrell even who kind of gave up against pete carroll um just was not really really willing to compete against him in recruiting still was turning in like classes that he really didn't have like any right to be getting um, I mean, I think he had at least one top 15 class. He had another top 20 class. I mean, he was turning out classes and he was probably the worst recruiting coach that UCLA's had in quite some time. Uh, Neuheisel had, I think, two top 10 classes in his four years. Um, and obviously they didn't win. They didn't even break 500 in his four seasons. 
uh, UCLA has just hired extremely poorly over the years, and that's why they've been bad. That's basically the long and the short of it. Yeah, so the numbers are pretty telling. Um, we, you look at those, and, and Wilner does a great job kind of breaking it down. And when we, we talked about the disparity between, hey, which teams have had the most success, and I think like Stanford was like second and second, where, or you know the second most draft picks and the second most success, where UCLA had the most draft picks, but like the sixth best uh, conference record, I think it was. It seemed like that was a pretty big disparity. And then Cal had one too. It just wasn't near the top. You know, it was more, um, but for the, the amount of, and it, it's not, doesn't mean that just because you got a bunch of guys drafted, doesn't mean you have the most talent, but you probably have to have pretty good talent to have as many guys as UCLA has had drafted, you know? So I, I think it does make well, sense. The, it just, the, the, uh, what Wilner did, which I love, is he added the draft pick element. But if you start with recruiting classes, and UCLA is one of whatever it was, 12 recruiting programs that have had um, uh, a top 20 national ranking in all five of the last five classes, and they're also way up there in terms of total draft picks, then the talent's there coming in, and the yeah. talent is there leaving, but something is happening while they're there where they're not actually performing. Um and that's that's there's only so many other things it could be. And yeah. it's it's probably not their inherent ability if they're getting drafted still. And if they're good coming in, then something else is going wrong. And, and it just Occam's razor, you know, simplest answer. It's got to be the coaching. Yeah, it's just got to be what it is. And it makes sense. It fits everything we know about these guys. So. That all makes sense. It's a really good um, piece. I recommend, I think he made this one, uh, not free because all of them are free, but I think he made this one public on the main uh, Mercury News website. But if you want to get like kind of inside stuff, extra stuff that he doesn't necessarily put um, in the public story, subscribe to John Wilner's newsletter. It's very good. Pac-12 hotline. Yeah, he does a great job on that. Um, would, you th- would you say development like you get you get five star or four star dudes coming in and they just kind of stay that way throughout the program would you say it's the development's been lacking or is it more about yeah i think it's i think it's um it's development and then especially in the latter couple of years for more a scheme um i think development overall stopped being very good starting in like year three um and then they drastically changed the scheme starting in year four um and that was just disastrous um the offense became that monstrosity it was uh, under kennedy palomalu um the defense became that really passive scheme it was under tom bradley um they had the right idea going in i think mora you know he hired a college oc who's good and noel mazzoni lou spanos actually had a pretty credible defense those first three years and then scheme wise it changed but i do i don't think development was very strong i think it started to make some bad decisions in terms of assistant hires um, and there was a whole lot of factors, but I think if you're just pinning it under a broad category, that's coaching, not personnel. Um, the personnel was, I think, pretty clearly there. All right. Um, well, should we move on to questions? Let's do it. Did you, uh, we had a couple of texts, right? Uh, I believe so. Let you, me, uh, you let me responded to one, up. um, we got I can, there's a recent one we got from from yesterday I can read or wait no it's uh yeah I think it's from yesterday today's Tuesday right 
Yeah. Today is Tuesday. Yes. I just don't know where I am anymore. I'm flying out tomorrow morning to uh, head to Nash Vegas, Nashville, for our publisher conference. No, no, no one calls it that. Don't call it that. No one calls it that. Nash Vegas. I don't know. Whatever. Just Stark Vegas. Stark, Stark Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Nashville. Go to Nashville. Look, I, I'm gonna. I'm breaking out my southern roots here and i know your wife is like from tennessee and so yeah. she probably has more southern roots than i who have lived here two years but <laughs> nash vegas no i don't think so don't do it okay she'd probably yell at me if i said that i would say walk away from that one so we got a text it says hi ryan and dave since we're moving into the off season there isn't much football to talk about what are you talking about jay of course there is uh, it would be cool if you could do a rundown of the pac-12 recruiting landscape in other words which high school's do coaches always try to draw from which regions provide better talent in one position than others and why? How are Pac-12 schools doing in locking down high school powers like Modern Day and Bishop Gorman versus schools outside the Pac-12? Are there outside regions outside? The, he said outside a lot. Outside the West Coast, such as Texas, uh, that's specific Pac-12 schools focus on. Love your work. Thanks so much from Jay. So maybe we should get like a Huffman or a Biggins on and kind of talk about that. Yeah, and I don't think we would be the two best ones to do this. But, yeah, I think Huffman or Briggins might be able to provide some insight. Um, I think a lot of the things, I think if you probably, ex you know, actually scrutinize them besides doing, like, accepted wisdom, like there's the, oh, you can get big corn-fed linemen from the upper north, from the upper Midwest. You can get um, much better, you know, big defensive linemen in the south or all this stuff. I, it's probably all hooey if you actually subject it to analysis. Um, but I don't know. We'll, 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 ask, we'll ask the experts. Yeah, there's some general stuff. Like we mentioned, you know, Oregon State has recruited Texas really well. I mean, everyone recruits Southern California. Everyone recruits Northern California. That's kind of, you know, normal stuff. Um, you know, I think there's certain schools like Arizona, like they'll go into Texas a lot. You know, Stanford is probably the most unique because they're pure national uh, recruiting. I mean, there's not a lot of schools that that do that, or anyone that really does that. So I think there's some little nuances that that people kind of uh, you know follow and stuff. But there, you know, some general ones there. But being in the Pac-12, it's most of everyone's rosters come from California. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, and I don't know that it's. I mean, I know like Washington has like I think Bellevue High School is really big for them. But getting it down to the narrow high schools, I'm sure there's some specific schools that specific schools like that specific colleges like to recruit. But I yeah. don't know exactly who they'd be for everybody. I know yeah. Gardena Sarah is mostly a USC feeder. I could say that. Yeah, they've they've had a lot of dudes, you know, come through from Sarah, even though Scott Altenberg's a, a UCLA guy, their head coach. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So the, very strange. People very give strange. them crap about that. But yeah, whatever reason, that's been a a big producer for, for USC. And then some schools like, you know, modern day, they produce so much people go everywhere. Bishop Gorman, like they get, you know, it's not like yeah. only UCLA gets this. I mean, it's like those kind of schools, they, they produce stuff for everybody. For sure. Uh, what about the one you responded to? Is that reading one or is that not a reading one? I don't know if it's, I mean, I can read it. Um, this is from doesn't give a name. I don't think, uh, Hey Dave, you are so bad at your job. You are pretty much wrong on everything. Am I doing this right? 
<laughs> now that I have your attention, because of the negative comments, can I ask a question? Are you at all worried about Chip Kelly's coaching style? I know you were giving him some leniency, but is he doing the same play style that he did as San Francisco? I mean, that wasn't successful. Do you wish he was doing more stuff like his Oregon tenure? You did mention that he isn't getting mobile quarterbacks. Just kidding on the negative stuff. I said, hi, you got me. I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some light concern at the back of my mind that he'll have some innovator fatigue and that SF chip might be the one UCLA got. We won't really know until the season, but the concern is definitely still in the back of my mind, and spring didn't squash it. I'm 90% sure that he's going to be good and will get UCLA to new heights, but I can't discount the possibility that he lost his fastball. So, I'm hedging. That's about it. <laughs> um, all right. That was, and he was one of the guys that gave us a test text early on, right, and said we suck. Yeah, he also said we suck in there, so I think he's maybe maybe lying about the fact that he doesn't believe it. He's, maybe he believes it. He's like it's joking probably. a lot that we suck, but I think he really thinks we suck. He really believes it. Yeah. Um, all right, and then we got another question from Klain. You want Klain's question? Sure. Power 5 matchups. Hey, guys, congratulations on making it this far through the offseason. So impressed. Now, that's that's got to be a little bit of sarcasm, but – I just said sarcasm. <laughs> so it's a backhanded gotta, compliment. Is we're going to have to wrap this thing up because I just said sarcasm, <laughs> not sarcasm, sarcasm. It's a deep sarcasm between. <laughs> yeah, it's a deep, it's a deep sar. It's a sarcasm. Um, given the pathetic showing of the Pac-12 during bowl season, it seems that the opportunity for redemption will be in the 2018 non-conference games, particularly early on. Looking at the schedule, what matches do you think present the best opportunity for redemption? Which games are you most interested in, excited about? Clean in Seattle. He gives us some options. Week one, Oregon State versus Ohio State. Auburn versus Washington. Cal versus North Carolina. Week two, ASU versus Michigan State. UCLA versus Oklahoma. Colorado versus Nebraska. And then week three, USC versus Texas. And then obviously the USC-Stanford matchups with Notre Dame. Interesting. Um, this was actually a topic that was asked asked about a lot on the conference calls, um, perception of the conference going one and eight. And everyone was kind of saying, you know, it just goes in cycles, blah, blah, blah. So they, they weren't really putting a whole lot of stock into it. But I think Clayton's got a great point that if you got the one and eight bowl record and in week one, you know, you kind of expect Ohio State to roll Oregon State. But if Auburn beats Washington, I think they're playing that in Atlanta. Um, you know, North Carolina hands Cal its lunch after Cal won on the road last year at, you know, nine in the morning. That's probably not a great start for the Pac-12. No, no. And so I'm looking at this and if I'm eyeballing the ones that I'm like most interested in or excited about, it's like, <laughs> you know, week two and on. But that week one, I mean, Auburn versus Washington on a neutral site, I think that'll be fun. Yeah. But Oregon State's going to get just – I mean, it's not going to be fun. Like, it's not going to be fun to watch. No. Uh, Cal versus North Carolina. I don't know if North Carolina is going to be out of the dumpster, so I don't know if that game's going to be particularly fun to watch. Um, ASU-Michigan State, that'll be interesting just for, like, a Herm test. You know, we can kind of see where that is. But my – the ones that I'd be most interested in – I'm not going to count the Notre Dame games uh, – the final three that he listed UCLA versus Oklahoma. I think that'll be fun. See Chip Kelly and, uh, you know, against a real team for the first time at UCLA. Um, and Oklahoma might very well be another national title contender, Colorado, Nebraska, just for those old big 12 feel to it. Um, I think it'll be fun to see Scott Frost at Nebraska. And then also um, Colorado 
maybe bounce back a little bit from last year. And then USC, Texas, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, Auburn, Washington, to me, Washington's got to be the favorite in the conference, right? Um, I would think so. Auburn think was. So. A, I don't know how good Auburn is, which is actually my one. I don't know if they're going to take a step back after last year. Yeah, but I mean, they were like a breath away from making the playoff, right? You know, it's right. It's uh, so it's still two teams that were, you know, one of the powers in their in their conference. I mean, if if Washington goes and loses, I don't think that helps the the Pac-12. Certainly, if USC loses to Texas on the road. Uh, they had, took them to overtime last year in the Coliseum with Sam Darnold. So you're like, I mean, this, this is going to be a better Texas team. Um, you, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you want to root for these teams because it could be a really rough start. And if if it goes poorly those first three weeks, it's almost like there'll be an afterthought for the rest of the season, no matter how those te- uh, the rest of the teams do. Yeah, and I'd have to say, I mean, Washington beating Auburn, I think that's completely reasonable. Um, Cal beating North Carolina, I think, is probably going to be the pick. Um, Oregon State probably has no chance against Ohio State, but nobody's thinking they do. Um, ASU versus Michigan State, honestly, I just have no idea because it remains to be seen what we're getting out of Herm. Um, UCLA versus Oklahoma, I don't think UCLA has a great chance in that one. It's it's at Norman, so that's tough um, by itself. And then factor in that it's Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's probably a lot better than UCLA. Colorado versus Nebraska, I think Colorado's got a great, great chance there. And then USC against Texas, I think they got a great chance there. So, you know, UCLA probably loses to Oklahoma. Oregon State probably loses to Iowa State. But I think the rest of these are very, very winnable for the Pac-12. Well, that's the problem, that they're winnable games. And if you only win, like, two or three of them, then it's really going to look bad. Yeah, yeah, you got to win. Well, what would it be? It's four games? Yeah, win three of those. That'd be good. Yeah. You're always a glass half-empty guy. <laughs> I need more positivity. I need a little positivity. Uh, the uh, Oklahoma UCLA game too, where like two top ten court, you know, top ten picks in the NFL draft are gone. So uh, I think it's just going to be a little bit easier for Oklahoma to kind of reload than UCLA. Probably, and they don't have to deal with a new coach. Yeah. All right. Should we go to John? Let's do it. Uh, Pac-12 future schedules. Ryan and Dave. Do you like Dave or David? Do you care? I don't care. And actually, I was having this conversation with somebody else today. I don't understand people who do care. Oh, yeah. I was going gonna... like, to. I, I know a guy named Philip who really wants to be Philip. Oh, one and of I those. just cannot stop calling him Phil. So maybe what I mean is I don't understand people who just won't go by whatever I want to call them rather than I don't understand why people won't just go by, you know, whatever name people call them. I don't want to be generalized here, but I think I would rather be friends with a guy named Philip. Phil, a Philip who would prefer Phil versus a guy named Phil who prefers Philip, who like gets met. Like, if you like, I'd rather you call me Phil. I think that's a cooler dude than I'd rather you call me Philip. Right. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. But I don't like, <laughs> I, I honestly don't get the preference thing. Yeah. I mean, you call me Dave, you call me David, you call me Davey, you call me whatever. Like, I don't <laughs> care. I'll answer to it. Or I won't, and then you'll have to find a more efficient way of getting my attention, yeah. right? By insulting you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Call me names. If I answer to it, then great. You've discovered a new name that I'll answer to. I just have to write it out. Like when we do the description, I'll say like Ryan and David or David and Ryan or Dave and Ryan or whatever. And I'm like, should I say Dave or David? I always ask myself, though. Right. No, Dave's fine. Little or tangent. David. Little tangent. Right. People want to know. All right. So he said Ryan and Dave. Love your show. Thank you for posting so frequently this offseason. Two quick questions for you. 
Has the conference released a schedule rotation for football beyond this season? The previous rotation schedule covered 2011 to 2018, but I have not seen anything for 2019 and beyond. I do not know. Do you know? I don't know, and I think it might be because we um, – well, does every other – so UCLA and USC have the weird thing where they have to have Stanford and Cal every single year, which makes it so it's very easy to figure out what the rotation is going to be. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same for everybody else. God, we're so bad at covering this league. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if everyone else has like a fixed partnership in the other division that they need to accommodate to make up for that. I don't think they do. I don't think so. so I think those rotations rotation. are a little bit funkier, Yeah. but because we're selfish and, and, and really inward people, we only know the USC and UCLA <laughs> situations. Well, I mean, I get the, I don't, what I would say, John is um, I don't remember getting an email from the PAC 12 saying, here's the schedule for that. So I don't think we've seen it. Um, I could be wrong, but my guess is that we do not have, have that yet. Um, he said also, we are Husky fans planning our first trip to see a game at the Rose Bowl this October. What would either of you suggest for our first L.A. game day experience? Thanks much and keep up the good work. GSP Runner, a.k.a. John Cooper. I mean, my recommendation for, for a Rose Bowl excursion, um, God, I would do the full tailgate. I mean, that would yeah. be my for my first experience there. I would do, you know, I, I don't know if you if you're outfitted with like tailgating gear or whatever, but I would partner up with somebody who is and tailgate on that golf course or in lot H um, tailgating at the Rose Bowl is a very cool experience. Um, it's can be really nice in October. The weather might be OK, too. Um, in September it can be broiling, but by October it can be a little bit cooler. So that would be my my number one suggestion. I think once you get beyond that, you can start you know sampling a Pasadena eatery before you go in um, and all that stuff. But I think for the first experience, really get in with the uh, game day experience there. I think it can be a ton of fun to tailgate. Yeah, I would say that too, and, and obviously arrive early, like make it yeah. a day. Like, and I think you can still get there. Depending on game time, I think they open the lots. Uh, if it's a, a later game, I think they might still open 10 hours before game time. I'm not sure. But you can get a good long tailgate in. Um, just wear your sunscreen. Uh, don't get overheated. Drink a lot of water. And uh, have a good time. Yeah, I would I would suggest that. And, you know, you can do whatever L.A. stuff you want to do, like, the night before. But, yeah. But getting there early, like it's going to be a nightmare if you if you think like three hours before a game is early, that's not early enough. So get there yeah, earlier than that. Traffic traffic can be a huge pain getting in and out of the valley, um, so in and out of the Arroyo Seco. Um, so I would definitely plan to get there early and just stay for a while. Um, and I think parking's now like I don't know, a hundred and fifty bucks. So, you know. Just it's not. It's like twenty five, <laughs> but it feels like one hundred and fifty yeah. uh, because um, it's gone up a lot. Uh, so invest in it. You know that's a real investment. You've got to you got to save up some money for that. So really, take it all in. Use that use that parking space. Yeah, stay in it for a while. It's weird. It's like you you're coming from you know from somewhere else in the country, and you're like, oh, I'm in L.A. But when you're driving the Rose Bowl, it's like you're driving down a country road. With, oh yeah, with just with a lot more densely populated houses on it, but the same, like the same type of road, and you're like, this is the way to get into the Rose Bowl. Like, yeah, and 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 John, I would be very clear, like it's not L.A. Like you're gonna be 
what are you, 15, well, 10 to 15 miles, but like really it's like seven hours away from downtown. <laughs> um, and, you know, from anywhere you would actually want to be in LA, you're going to be, you know, it's a good long distance. So yeah. um, it's not really like you could go walk on the beach in Santa Monica and then an hour later be at the Rose Bowl. Um, I mean, not unless it's like midnight. Yeah, or you have a helicopter. Uh, like that's fine. <laughs> right. If you have a helicopter, maybe. Yeah, if you have um, a helicopter, then you're you're in you're Yeah, in John, bring a helicopter. Bring a helicopter <laughs> and then you can do the LA experience and the Rose Bowl all in the same day. And you could do some cool stuff around Pasadena, the old town stuff. There's there's some neat stuff there, but it's very different, you know. Than yeah. like if you wanted to be, you know, in Westwood or Santa Monica or down in Manhattan Beach or in Beverly Hills or wherever, you know, like it's just those are like it's like another world. Like they're very far away. Right. All right. We got a, we got random thoughts and a question from Nick from Cyprus. Ooh, okay. Hi. Hi. This is, wow. Okay. Hang on. I'm going to start again. Are you struggling? Hi, this is, <laughs> I'm struggling so hard. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, AKA big Nick 21 USC from the P. So first let me start up by saying hello, Ryan Abraham and David, the lovable loser Bruin. What? See, he calls me David. It's fine. Nick oh, yeah. and I are friends. <laughs> Um, I really enjoyed your in-depth look into Pac-12 programs infrastructure. I don't see any change until the presidents of schools wanting change for the better. Also, I enjoy the Pac-12 network with my spectrum. I also like Bill Walton's basketball commentary as well as Yogi Roth for football. He's a man of good taste, our friend Nick. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, you got to like their on-air personalities for all the bashing you guys do of the Pac-12 network. I won't deny it. I think they're both uh, good, and I think uh, that's one area where the Pac-12 has not failed. Um, I like both of your all century teams. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. Crap. Okay. Tell me more, Nick. Um, question Can you guys answer after spring ball? I want a power rankings of the conference. I can assume Oregon State will be in last place and Stanford and UW on top. I would like to hear your rankings. Interesting. Fight on. We'd have to look at that. Uh, so he likes both our teams. We didn't get a definitive answer from Wilner, but Kyle Bonagora said obviously Ryan's team will win just by how many points I don't think that was a fair because I had just been um ripping on him for covering the Todd McNair trial <laughs> I don't think he was coming at it from a purely objective point of view right then all right well we'll, we'll check back with him but I think he's objective because I'm my team obviously um would lose. No, I can't even carry this on my, my team would like lose by about a million points um Wilner was interesting he took the tack that both of us suck and well, that he could draft a better team from the remaining players available. I think he would start to figure out it would be hard to get offensive linemen. Like, it seems easy at first, and then you're like, well, you know, why didn't you take Reggie Williams for Washington? Well, I needed right. a lineman and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, there's... He also wasn't getting that you needed a... Like, what I also screwed up at the very beginning is you need just one offensive player and one defensive player from each team. You can't have two of them from Stanford yeah. on offense. Yeah, he wanted someone to take Mike Patterson... Yeah. Um, from USC, you end up taking. You took a Cedric Ellis. Yeah, I probably okay. could have taken Mike Patterson instead. But you but know, either way, like they're both they're really the same. Good. Um. Okay. So, do we need to do a ranking? Yeah. What do you here? Let's see. I, I don't even know what we would do. <sighs> All right. Who's the best? So let's say Oregon State's the worst because Oregon State's the worst. Washington's the best. Okay. Let's do Washington one, Oregon State twelve. Who would okay. be the second worst? Like, who would you put at the bottom? 
contenders would be like Colorado, Cal, UCLA, Arizona probably, State I'm probably maybe. probably going Colorado. That's who we ended it last year with. I'd probably go something like Oregon State, Colorado, Cal. That's how we ended it last year. Okay. UCLA number nine. That's exactly how we had it like to end last year. Okay. Um, I think Arizona State could contend down there, even though they finished in the top half last year. I think they return enough. uh, Yeah, I mean, if we're really banking on our read on Herm Edwards, they should be like tenth or eleventh. Because they got Manny Wilkins back. They got. I mean, they got they got people coming back, but they've got the Herm. Yeah. So if we're going to be true to our, you know, convictions there, I think we have to put them down there somewhere. Okay. So let's say let's say Herm is ten, and that bumps. Uh, Cal up to nine and UCLA at eight. Okay. Is that right? Yeah, let's do that. Um, um, Washington State trying to replace Luke. Let's let's put them at seven. Okay. Because I, I have I, I, I think Leach is going to be able to get quarterback play out of somebody. He's like never had a bad quarterback performance, but um, we'll see. All right. The defense also needs to completely change over. Um, so now we got a two through five. So I'd put Stanford at like three or four. Okay. Who do you who'd you, who'd you who'd you put at two? I think there's a lot of incomplete teams. I think it would have to be USC. I could do that, but it's like I might pick Utah to win the South. You know, I'm not sure yet. Uh, or yeah, Arizona. I think it's more from a power ranking standpoint. Yeah. So put so put yeah. USC two talent wise and everything. And then Stanford three, Utah four, Arizona five. Does that yeah, sound good? I would, yeah, I would do that. Okay, that's our order. Okay, knowing that, I think, I think Arizona could potentially, even though people give us crap for saying, I think they can win the South. Like, yeah, I think so. Too. If things fall the right way, and it, you know, but I think they have a chance. Yeah, agreed. Um. All right, that was cool. Uh, did he have anything else? Or that was it, right? That's pretty much it. Yep. Hitler Day. Oh man. Okay. Don't feel bad, David. You only lost the all-century team contest because the rules weren't administered properly and you forgot to play defense. And isn't that the most Pac-12 <laughs> thing of all? So this was called sliders. My apologies for striking uh, you boys out on the question. No, you didn't strike us out. You struck out on the question, Hitler Day. Uh, about spring game fan favorites who will never take the field. The answer for Oregon, by the way, is Hunter Kempmoyer. I'll take Hunter some... Camp Moyer is from Bishop, California, which is where my brother lives, and he was his middle school principal. Fun fact. A high school yeah. kid was your, your... No, no, no. <laughs> when he was in middle school, my brother was his middle school principal. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Nice. Uh, he said, I'll take some heat off the pitch this time. Really, Hitler Day, this was, that was your bad question. Like there was, there was no way we could have answered that question. It was not us. He was able to answer it about Oregon. Yeah, but we could, you know... Whatever. I never would have pegged our boy Hithla Day as an Oregon fan. Is he saying that he is an Oregon fan? I, he didn't say that specifically, but he said the answer for, for Oregon. He didn't really give a reason why. But Interesting, the implication there, right? If yeah. we're drawing an inference. He's a, he's a duck. Now, he's gonna, now we're going to have all of our uh, Washington fans get all over him now. They're not going to be. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting, Hitler Day. Let's yeah. continue on. He said, last week, you noted that Chip Kelly was 34-3 and in conference games as Oregon's head coach, and that record is, quote-unquote, unimpeachable. Uh, in that time, he faced 16 unique head coaches of the Pac-10-12 teams. Can you name how many of those 16 gentlemen who are still employed 
as Power Five or NFL head coaches today, and how many of that number Chip Kelly beat more than once? That he scrolls down, so it's like kind of a dramatic. So we're actually supposed to answer it. We're not going to answer it because that would require us thinking yeah, and stuff. It's not great. Not He's, great. Yeah. He said five of them still employed Power Five slash NFL head coaches: Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Mike Leach, David Shaw, and Kyle Whittingham. Uh, though that was in 2009 when Utah was a Mountain West team. And zero of those five had multiple losses to Chip Kelly against the other 11 guys who at some point after playing Oregon were collecting unemployment checks. His record was 30 and one. And there are some real Bush leaguers on that list. John Embry, Mike Stoops, Paul Wolf, a uh, friend of the podcast, Rick Neuheisel. He's a really good coach. Isn't it possible Chip Kelly just slid through a down conference that hadn't yet upgraded its coaches with TV money and got out of town just in the nick of time. Hmm, what do you think? He included like a record thing that we can't really, it's like an eye chart with colors and everything. Right. Okay, so David Shaw started at Stanford in 2011. So the two times they would have overlapped were 2011 and 2012, whereas Harbaugh was 20, 2009 and 2010. Is that right? I believe you're, I believe so. So those are kind of a misnomer because that would mean that he's one and one against both. If he didn't have multiple losses, if neither, right? Like, it's not like they had a winning record against him. They were both one and one. Yeah. Is that the way you're reading that? I Yes. Okay. Um, Mike Leach started at Washington State in 2012. So he only coached once against Chip Kelly as a head coach, right? Yeah, so it's hard to get multiple wins. So that's, yeah, right. Um, Kyle Whittingham, so Utah entered the Pac-12 in 2011. That, that right? He said it was 2009, so he that they faced off when he was with, at Utah and they were a Mountain okay. West team. All right, well, I'd have to, okay, so I'll have to look at that record. So off the top of my head, so Pete Carroll was also only there from 2000, only 2008 and 2009, right? Right, yes. Was it even 2000? Yeah, it was 2009, Matt Barkley's first year. Yeah, I'm going to pull up this Excel Wait, sheet. Wait, so it was just the one year, 2009. He gave us an Excel spreadsheet, so... Um, oh, maybe I should just open that. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I think it's... Yeah, Leach was only one year. Um, Shaw was two years. It's... Uh, I don't know. I think sometimes you can get revisionist history where you can talk about, you can poo-poo things. I see people do this with Pete Carroll a lot. Like, oh, the, the Pac-12 was terrible. They went to seven straight BCS bowl games and stuff. It's like, they still did a lot of good things. You know, like, they were the best around at the time, and they beat teams out of conference. And I think you could say the same thing with Chip Kelly in Oregon. Like, you know, you're, you're going to the, the that tippity-top upper-tier bowl game every year you're doing something right. So to try to go back and say, yeah, but look who he played every year. It's like, you know, Pete Carroll, you're talking about seven, eight years for Pete Carroll, four straight years for, for Chip Kelly. I don't like when people poo-poo that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think this this just feels like a little bit of a stretch to me, um, especially the, the contextualization of zero of those five had multiple losses to Chip Kelly. Well, Carroll only played him once Whittingham only coached against him once um Harbaugh coached against him twice David Shaw coached against him twice and 
Mike Leach coached against him once. Yeah. So it's like three of those guys only coached against him once, and he beat all three of them, and he was 1-0 against each. So I guess like as the larger point that, yeah, that he didn't play, he didn't coach against as many great coaches, but I mean, I guess if you're looking at the league right now, there's Chris Peterson, which I think is a much more instructive record against. I think Boise State had some success against Chip Kelly, and that might be more interesting to think about. Um, but, I mean... I don't know, Oregon State, how do, how does, you know, Jonathan Smith compare against Mike Riley? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, especially that tier of Mike Riley. I don't know how good Mike Riley was by that point. Uh, Justin Wilcox against Jeff Tedford. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that one either, like if that's a clear upgrade. Uh, David Shaw versus David Shaw or Jim Harbaugh. Like, I mean, it's just. I don't know if it's all that different. I mean, I think Chip Kelly is obviously a massive upgrade at UCLA, but is Herm Edwards better than Dennis Erickson and Todd Graham, or is he worse? Yeah. Is, you know, is Kevin Sumlin that much better than Mike Stoops and a year of Rich Rod? Maybe. Probably. Is Mike McIntyre that much better than Dan, Dan Hawkins and, uh, and John Embry? Yeah, okay. <laughs> that seems fair. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, 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 I see the point, I guess, um, that the caliber of the coaching in the league has probably improved a little bit then since then. But I think the bigger issue for Chip Kelly is whether or not he was infected by the NFL more than uh, something about his college record is impeachable now. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Hitler. All right. This is from Justin. Oh, it's a long one. Oh, this is my man, Justin. He always writes long ones. Okay. Love you, Justin. Uh, a theory about Larry Scott. Hey, F-heads. He didn't say F-heads. He said the, the the naughty word that I said at the very beginning of last podcast. <laughs> but we have children listening to this show. Uh, just following your instructions, Dave. This is Go UCLA 05 from the Bro Board. First, I wanted to say that you guys have been absolutely killing it on the podcast lately and have more than made up for the lack of broadcasts on the UCLA site. Hint, hint, Dave. Are you not Love doing it. you're not doing shows? I'm just I'm easing into the off season. <laughs> Five months in. Um, anyway, I wanted to share with you a thought I had about Larry Scott that I don't remember anyone really touching on before. A short while back, one of the USC fans wrote into the show and referred to Scott as Tennis Larry. For anyone who doesn't know, Scott has that nickname before, because before coming to the Pac-12, he served as the chairman and CEO of the WTA, the Women's Professional Tennis Tour. The issue there is that tennis is a major anomaly within the world of competitive sports because at the highest levels, the men's and women's games are basically equal in popularity. Take the four biggest tennis tournaments each year, the Grand Slams, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the French Open, and the Australian Open. The men and women enjoy equal prize money. The men's and women's singles finals draw equal crowds at the stadiums, and they also basically equal viewing audiences on TV. You know, as a side note, I have a theory about that. They're like two different kind of sports, the way they play it. Like men like conserve so much faster in the whole thing, but they don't diminish in quality. Like when you watch women's basketball versus men's basketball, they're two different sports. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. And this is, this could be complete bias, uh, but I don't, they're not both as enjoyable to watch. Whereas tennis, like it's just watching a different thing, but it's, it's still, honestly, the women's game is more enjoyable to me because there's more, you know, back and forth. And I don't know what that's called in tennis. So I'm not an expert, but it's more fun. It seems like there are longer rallies and stuff. So that's better. And I think women's soccer is also kind of like this. Whereas I don't even think it's that different of a sport. Um, 
you know, maybe a little bit slower, maybe a little bit, you know, people are a little bit smaller, but I, I think those two sports, for whatever reason, it just works out a lot better though. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge like tennis fan, but I watch like the, uh, grand slams and I'll watch men and women. I don't care which one, you know, like I don't, you know, I'll watch NBA playoffs, but I'm not going to watch WNBA anything. Like it's just not enjoyable to me. So I don't know what the reason is, but yeah, like I'll watch as much women's tennis as men's tennis or, or more. It doesn't matter. You know, I, it's enjoyable to me when I watch the, the grand slams and stuff like that. Yeah. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to hear what the opinions are on that because like women's basketball, it's, it's it's just a different game because it's not as like above the rim. Yeah, it's below and the I rim. Think, yeah, yeah, and I think like there's there's definitely. I mean, John Wooden had a theory that it's much more fundamentally sound. Um, but I think even like you know teams watch people watch like Virginia basketball, you know, men's basketball, and they're like, this is boring because it is just very fundamentals oriented, and it's you know they don't necessarily have the most high flying athletes, and so people get bored by it. And I wonder if it's just partly like people watch basketball for more of the spectacle stuff maybe yeah i don't maybe. know and it's and I, don't I, know. I don't mean to take it's like not taking a shot at the the, the athletes the women that play no if, no no not at all no if you play like if you're a pretty good basketball player and you're like in college and you go and some of my friends would do this that they were better basketball players than me and they would like scrimmage against like the women's teams and i mean they would get you know they'd get beat like they're like you know these women are really really good but it doesn't mean you would want to watch it. Like I'll go play softball, but I'm not going to go watch like, you know, well, middle-aged like men softball. play softball. Like, I'll, I'll, I, like I, uh, when I was like a kid, I used to watch like my sister play softball and the whole thing. And like honestly, like softball's okay for me to watch. Like I, I, I think that again, it's like it, it doesn't feel like it's because I think, frankly, I think baseball's friggin' boring oh, as yeah. hell too. And so I'm like, okay, this is fine. It's basically the same thing. And honestly. <sighs> I don't know. I, I think softball players get more fired up. There's like cheers and stuff. It's I don't know. It's yeah, no. Cool. I mean, I mean, didn't mean to say like not watching softball. I have issues with baseball versus softball and stuff. I don't. There's some things I don't like about women's softball. No, no, no completely, completely. But I it's just like either. I wouldn't watch me like just because <laughs> they're better. Like, yeah, the, the 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 people are complaining about the girl that plays for the the you know the Sparks or something, the WNBA Sparks. She'd kick your ass all day long, but doesn't still mean I don't want to watch her. You know. Right. No, completely agree. So um, anyway, that's our aside about tennis, and you can call us uh, misogynist for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> continuing, I wonder if Scott's obsession with providing television coverage to the Olympic non-revenue sports has something to do with his time in professional women's tennis, potentially leading him to the erroneous conclusion that the only thing holding those sports back from becoming popular and profitable is a lack of exposure TV time. It's the only thing I can come up with to explain these conferences' bizarre focus on those sports. And before anyone accuses me of putting any of those sports down, I support all college athletic teams, but the bottom line is that these teams don't need TV exposure. They need money, and the only way you're going to get that money is by providing as much support as possible to the only two college sports that actually turn a profit, football and basketball. Thanks so much for you, too, and keep up the awesome work. The POC has definitely become one of the must-listen items on my iPod. Thank you, Justin. I don't know if there was a question in there. I don't think there was, but I think it's a, it's a good point where— right. It's not really about exposure. It's it's more about, I mean, having seven you networks. You can expose all of those sports all day long, men's and women's Olympic sports, and nobody is going to watch them. Yeah. It's nice. Like, your family can watch, and it's, it's cool to do it. But if you're doing it because you think it's going to catch fire, and it's like, oh, that, you know, 
that lacrosse women's lacrosse game is you know they pulled a huge number like no it's not going to like men's lacrosse isn't going to pull a huge number people want, like what they like and it's not it's just what it is you know so football makes money if you can support that it will help all of the other sports yeah for sure i want uh, so i i'm only i'm only poo-pooing what you just said because i really want you to read this next email crap okay especially especially line two okay games against fcs opponents is this what you're talking about Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hi, Dave and Ryan. He calls you Dave. Just You can speed read through the first part. Thanks for doing the fantasy draft, and sorry that it got so complicated. My vote now, is— Now, emphasize, emphasize the next six words. My vote is for Dave's team. So can we repeat that a few times? So uh, this is Futameki. Uh, mm-hmm. Futameki. My vote is for Dave's team just because I'd love to see the organ blur run by Mariota. MJD, Paul Richardson, and Brandon Cooks. Tell me about it. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, continue now. All right. This guy obviously lost all credibility. Um, You guys have talked recently about unbalanced scheduling, such as the SEC playing only eight conference games in a season. The thing that bothers me more is games against FCS opponents. Simply put, a win against an FCS school should not count the same as a win against an FBS school. UCLA, USC, and Notre Dame are the only schools who have never played an FCS game or team. I think he means. Do you think UCLA and USC should give it should give in and start scheduling FCS opponents? As a point of pride, I hope they never do. You know, there's some realities of this that might force them to do it at some point. UCLA maybe pretty quickly. They've still got UCLA still has a vacancy. I want to say in its 2019 schedule. Really. Yeah, because somebody backed out. Um, Rutgers, I believe, backed out. Um, so let me look. Yeah, UCLA has a vacancy in 2020, has two vacancies in 2020 and a vacancy in 2021. And most of the time, schools have those built out well in advance. Yeah. So to have two openings in 2020 is a big deal. And one of the one of the the one that's not open is San Diego State already. So it's not as if they can go pull in the local school. I mean, I guess they can find another local school, but San Diego State is usually one of those backup options that they now can't use because they're already playing them. So they need to find two non-conference opponents that year, and uh, a lot of people's schedules have already filled up. Yeah, so I wonder if that happens. I mean, I think it's a point of pride that those schools wouldn't do it unless they absolutely have to. Maybe UCLA is going to have to at some point. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, um, I, I don't, I don't love it. Um, I, I, we've answered this question before, um, and I, I, I think it's sort of like we're both kind of iffy on it. I don't think either of us would prefer it, but I mean, if the SEC remains adamant about playing eight conference games, if if so, if the Pac-12 ever went to eight conference games, which seems unlikely, um, then you would almost have to. Like that would almost be. The only way it can work is to play FCS schools. Well, I mean, they 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 scheduled four out of conference games before. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's enough, you know, group well, of five. If you're schools. going to eight conference games to get a competitive, even playing field with the SEC, it wouldn't make sense to then continue going against nothing but FBS schools. Yeah, you right? could do. I mean, you could do a group of five ones yeah, and stuff. I guess. I guess. I don't know. Okay. Like everyone, like I know Wilner comes on and is like, "Yeah, no, that wouldn't work." Man, I still think eight's the way to go. I still think redoing the um, the divisions 
Um, I, you know, I get that people are saying like, well, if if you're if you want to say, well, you shouldn't put all the California schools together, the northern schools would never go for that. Um, the the fact that you it's if they're going to be in different divisions, I don't know if USC and Stanford and Cal and UCLA should all play each other. Then um, I think it makes more sense to just put them in the same division and let them play each other. Now you make these concessions and it's screwing up the whole schedule. Um, I don't know, but but that's just me. But I I get there's a lot of people that don't feel that way. Yeah, no, I, I I'm I'm kind of. I go either way on it. I really liked it when it was the Pac-10 and they had a true round robin. Yeah. Um, obviously, they can't go back to that. Screw it. Yeah, actually, kick out a couple of teams and go back to the Pac-10 and have a nine-game true round robin. Screw can, it. Can we do relegation? That would be, like, I'm not a big soccer guy, but the best thing about soccer is relegation. Yeah. Yeah, and just relegate the teams that have done the, the least with the most. Pair the Mountain West up with the Pac-12. And the best two schools every other year or something from the Mountain West can move up, and the worst two in the Pac-12 move down. Okay. I think that's a good plan. All right. We've solved it. There you go. (laughs) All right. Now we've got a question from Justin. Uh, Question. Peterson and USC. David and Ryan, thanks for doing this pod. I love how you guys cover all the good and bad of Pac-12 football and of the conference. This will make a great business school case study in the future. Really? I, I think he must mean the conference itself and not our podcast. Oh, if it's for us, we want a cut of whatever you make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big Husky fan, and I'm writing. So is he saying he's a big Husky fan or that he's a big fan of the Huskies? I assume he's about 300 pounds is what I'm <laughs> I'm a big Husky fan, and I'm writing high <laughs> on how great things are turning out for the Huskies and Chris Peterson. All right, so we solved this. Unless he's a big Husky fan of the Huskies. Oh, Yeah, I'm still thinking 300 pounds. That's what I'm picturing. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Looking back, somehow the stars were aligned when when USC swooped in to take away Sark and Peterson called UW to say that he was finally ready to leave Boise. I would love to hear Ryan's USC perspective five years ago when Peterson ended up at UW. I I understand that before Sark went to USC, Peterson interviewed Pat Hayden and USC. Not a typo. Let's face it. The great coaches interview the school, not the other way around. Actually, I think that was part of the problem is USC thought they were interviewing him and Peterson was interviewing them. But anyway, Ryan, do you have insight on how the interview went? Did Peterson talk about recruiting to Built for Life and OKGs, causing Pat Hayden to fall on the floor laughing? Did Hayden talk about loading up on as many LA five-star kids and maximizing star ratings, causing Peterson to cringe and have a heart attack? How long did it take for either side to decide that this wasn't a good fit? Three minutes? Three seconds? Please take us through what must have been one of the most hilarious conversations in Pac-12 history. Yeah, um, obviously I wasn't there. My general understanding was, and the more the more you say, like, if USC wanted to get Peterson, they could have got him, the more it, it pisses off Washington people. But I feel it probably, I think you're probably right on both sides. I think USC would was, was giving him an interview, but it was like they needed to be convinced. Where if you're going to go get Chip Kelly or Chris, you're going to go get someone that won 100 games or whatever, you don't need to be convinced. You just need to be like, okay, you come in and do it your way. I think USC was trying to get things. They wanted someone that was going to come in and not rock the boat and like change things up, which you don't hire Chris Peterson if you want to do that. You hire a guy that's great at winning, and you say, come in and do what you need to do and go win. 
And I don't think they ever gave him that impression that he was going to be able to do that. And I think there's other issues with him potentially coming to L.A., but I think that was kind of the, the stop thing where it wasn't like USC was saying, yes, we think you're a great coach. Come here and implement your stuff and do what you need to do. Not come here and fit into our the way we do things and try to win still. That's my guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that fits um, our knowledge of a lot of these situations and USC in particular. Um, do you think they? Do you think they screwed up? Do you think that was a big screw up on their part? No, I wouldn't say big. I'd say enormous. Um, <laughs> no, I mean like Washington was going to potentially fire Steve Sarkeesian because he almost lost the Apple Cup. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so you're saying it was a bad decision to hire Sarkis? Hor- like, no, it was horrible. Point. Like, he last. So, you know, people, you can argue how terrible a coach Ed Orgeron is, but if USC would have just retained Ed Orgeron, you, I think you'd have been better off than you were if you just you went out and got Steve Sarkeesian. First of all, Chris Peterson isn't at Washington, so you you didn't create a power in the North by doing that. Um, and secondly, Sark was out after 15 or 16 games. Like, I think Orgeron could have at least lasted. <laughs> That long and won more games than, than Sark did and not be be drunk uh, at practice and things like that. So, yeah, I think it was a colossal screw-up. Right. So you don't think, like, that it was a good idea to hire the guy who was a mediocrity every year at Washington over the guy who, like, took Boise State to New Heights. Well, you just, understand. I, I, just like Rick okay. Neuheisel can play the guitar, which you should, you know— Steve Sarkeesian already knew the USC fight song. So, like, you can't – that's invaluable, Dave. Like, you need to, you know. I love it when guys get hired for institutional knowledge. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's great. My, basically, my, basically, it's it's the shorthand version of, oh, I know that guy. Let me hire him. Yeah. I know him. I've heard of him. I kind of made some USC fans mad when I was like, okay, I'm going to make a new rule that USC needs to follow. Like, next time you hire anybody – they have to have nothing to do with USC. That's the only reason. Oh, UCLA fans are big fans of that rule, too. And people because are like, well, the, the network, and that's the whole point. And I'm like, but if you hire someone that has that you have no connection to, you can't hire an idiot, right? You can only hire based on their resume. So mm-hmm. you don't go hire someone that's never done the job before if you don't know them. Because if you don't know them, they have to have a great resume. So my rule was you can't know them. Because then you can only hire people with great resumes. Now you're hiring people with crappy resumes that you know. So that that was my reasoning. It's why like every major organization has rules against nepotism, right? Because you don't want to just hire people you know. Yeah. You want to get kind of get out of there. Um, okay. So yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, additional note: Why are UCLA fans so worried about Chip's change in recruiting pace? Sark used to offer hundreds of kids, and now Peterson offers almost the fewest kids in the country. That has worked out quite well. Now, can Chip do exactly what Peterson has done? Probably not. But fans should know that this approach is being done successfully as we speak. Yeah, I, I think the question is: Just because it works for Peterson, is it necessarily going to work in this way? Peterson obviously has like a tried and true method. Um, Chip. I don't know how different this is from Oregon and he's been out of the college game for four years. So I don't know. It's, it's just, it's something to pass the time here in the off season. Yeah. You know, otherwise it's just focusing on, I don't know, entropy, the eventual heat death of the universe. Like so many (laughs) things that you could worry about in the off season. Why not just focus on recruiting other stuff? Scarier. Yeah. (laughs) 
And it's, Thanks. you know, offers mean so little now that you can right. use them in different ways where if you're Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic and you just need to make a splash, you want every kid in the country to know they have an offer. That's just a way to get your name out there, you know? And I think Sark did the same sort of thing when, you know, when you take over an over 12 team, you got to do something different than when you're a team that was in the playoff, you know, two years ago or whatever. So I, I think there's just different strategies. Um, and I think we'll see Chip Kelly's strategy change too, you know, but it's more of a measured approach kind of going in. He might go on some crazy run of offers and offer a crap load of people, a hundred people over the next month, who knows, you know, but I think it's just more about strategy. I, I like I said before, I don't think I wouldn't worry if I was a UCLA fan about that. Yeah, I completely agree. And then he says, thanks. Hope you guys get to this one on the next pod. And we did, we did it. Justin. Hey, um, just try to work out a little bit more, maybe mix in a salad. Uh, you know, just, I, I, I don't, I when you're bad. self-identifying as a Husky fan, you know, things are getting a little, a little rough. All right. I feel terrible. We, we, we don't think you're fat, Justin. We, we don't think you're just right. Actually. And I feel bad if he's actually a Husky gentleman. I don't, you know, but, but if he is or isn't, you know what? Yeah. We're, 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 we support we're, you either way, but I, we I, support you in however you want to be in whatever form you come in. It's funnier if you're skinny and we're saying you're 300 pounds. Right. It's not as funny the other way. Right. So, yeah. um, okay. <laughs> so this is good. <laughs> this is a good way to end things. I think this has been effective. <laughs> I think we worked in some, like, real, like, backhanded um, commentary on women's sports. <laughs> um, we called out a guy for being fat, whether or not he is. Um Okay, I think we've done a good job. I think of... I feel good. I don't feel like we're going to get any hate mail whatsoever after this one. Um, no. Do we should we make fun of like Shannon Carroll, the new cow publisher, just to like add like make sure that we we we, many... we 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 certainly could. <laughs> I I I don't know her. I have never met her. No. So that seems. Oh, that seems like a little rough. But I mean, not having met somebody has never kept me from. Um, saying awful things about them in the past so <laughs> why start why start now it's more fun we're actually for to be real to be real we're gonna get her on uh fairly soon i don't think um you know we got to give her some time to get her feet wet and stuff but uh we'll certainly talk to her when fall camp starts and she'll be out there and stuff but it, it'd be cool to get her on just to give some sort of background maybe we'll get gorsey and her on at the same time i don't know what do you think maybe, Dave? maybe honestly though it might, we might have to wait a while because i think you really informed us all about everything to do with Cal football earlier today. I was pretty good. You know, there was a lot I of mean, notes. You were, you were pretty something. I'll That's, share my notes with Shannon and she can like rip them apart and tell me I was full of crap and all that stuff. I mean, it would involve a lot of tearing because there, there were a lot of notes. <laughs> I didn't even go through them all, man. I'm, I'm actually well aware of that. I'm wondering how many of our listeners watched more than two even more than one of the spring games on Pac-12 Network. Like, assume they watched their own. How, how many, many watched how another many, one? How many hosts of this podcast <laughs> watched more than one spring game? I watched 12 of them. Right. That's insane. So one. One of us did. I need to put myself in timeout. I, just, yeah. I would guess that among our hosts and listeners, one person watched more than one spring game. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, if you happened to watch 
more than one spring game. So maybe you know you're a Cougar fan. How about this? How about this? If you watched a spring game, let us know. And yeah. if you watched more than one, really let us know. Yeah. If you watch more than one, you you get one of our T-shirts if we have them. But but yeah. we don't we don't have them. But if we did, you would get one. Should, should we get T-shirts? We need like a logo first. We don't even have a logo, do we? Oh, we no, gotta we, do. I, we got the the stupid thing with our faces on. Oh it. yeah, we could do that, I guess. But the, and we gotta consider like, um, I went on the uh, Pac-12 Sirius Radio thing this morning with uh, with our guy. Once in future station. Um, yeah, where we should be. Uh, but right. guy, guy and uh, Ryan Leaf are usually the host, but Ryan Leaf wasn't there, so they had Mike Lamb, who's basically like, he's like the face of the Pac-12, right? Like he's on everything. Right, like he he hosts like everything. He's like the main host. Yeah, um, but he was really nice. Uh, so we'll have to try to get him to come on. That'd be great. But for for our little our little catchphrase, probably doesn't sit all that well with those guys. Even though it's a joke, but still, you know, hopefully. Well, it's a joke that's true. <laughs> like that's the thing. Well, any yeah, I mean, any podcast is in more homes because anyone can has access to right. a podcast. Well, I mean, some people don't, you know, if you don't have have limited internet access here in our dystopia, but some people do and more people do than, than, than do have access to the Pac-12 network. And I would say even in this long off season, our average downloads per show probably exceeds the average viewership of an Olympic sport on the Pac-12 network. I mean, that's, unfortunately, that's probably true, Um, (laughs) but it's, uh, no, we've been, it's been good. So We'll try to get Mike on. Um, you know, we've had other Pac-12 personalities on. We'll keep trying to do that during the offseason. Any more ideas for stuff? It's going to be a little slow going forward, Dave, huh? What do you think? I don't think we have uh, – Although I don't, I don't want to say that we're completely unable to fill the next three months, but I think we're going to be completely unable to fill the next three months. I think we'll do mix in some guests. But we did almost two hours today. We're approaching two hours, and it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like a ton of stuff. But true. But there were like sections of this. Like, let's just be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. There were sections of this show that were nigh on unlistenable, right? <laughs> like there was that whole thing where you were talking about spring games. No, that was the best part. People there love was the those. thing where I started talking about Wilner's article, and it just like I fell into a black hole of ranting about UCLA again. Like, you know. I mean, we can do that every show in the off season. Right. It's just, you know, we might need to figure out a plan, you know, for the first time. We uh, so we have to keep it going. Though. Series. We can't go like three months without a show. So we're going to keep it going. Send in your mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. Send in your, your angry tweets, whatever you want to do. Dave eventually is going to put that stuff up there about the. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I feel really good about the chances of, <laughs> of uh, our, our man Andrew's stuff finding its way to the website at some point in the future. Did you see I put up all of that data from our. From our draft, that's all uh-huh. up there. Yeah, that's all up there. Um, and that that happened two weeks after Andrew sent us his information. Yeah. So. so, Dave, you can do it, Dave. Come on. I feel really good about my chances of doing okay. it. You guys encourage him. Tweet Dave. Tweet, uh, tweet us. Let us know. Um, all right. I think we should probably wrap this up. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Uh, I got some volleyball to get to. I got my volleyball yeah, league yeah, tonight. For sure. Um that is David Woods from Bro. Check him out. I'm Ryan Abraham from USAfootball.com. Check me out. Check us all out here. Pac12podcast.com. We are the podcast of champions. 
two hours in. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. Bless you for listening this long, and we will talk to you next time.